Welcome to the Ford on the Dawn podcast, episode 7. Uh, in this episode, we'll be looking at the Halo 4 reveals at PAX, uh, with two of our staff members having gone to PAX, and uh, we'll be questioning them a little bit about it, and hopefully hearing what they have to say about their hands-on time with uh, Halo 4's multiplayer modes. So, uh, I'm I'm Danny, I'm slightly live. Um, who else is here? I'm David, a.k.a. Dangerous Dave. This is Ben, a.k.a. Galleon. And I'm Isaac, a.k.a. Postmortem. Right, as I said, two of our guys here went to PAX. It wasn't me, I'm stuck in Potato Land here, and Dave was also marooned somewhere. It wasn't a nerd-filled convention. Uh, so Isaac and Ben, you guys uh, went to PAX, so you, you guys want to talk about it a little bit? What was, uh, what was the trip to PAX like for, uh, for both of you? The trip to PAX? Yes. Uh, it went very well. My... Plane ride was smooth, and I played Half-Life on the plane. Sounds pretty good. Uneventful travel is the best kind. I live down in St. Helens, so I've got a two-and-a-half-hour drive up to Seattle. So I just I grab a couple of CDs, I listen to my CDs, and I boom straight up north on I-5, and I'm there by the time they're over. So it's pretty painless. So you live nearby then, luckily Yeah, enough? I live nearby. It's just two-and-a-half hours away. So I just drive up. You've been to PAX before? Yeah, this is number six or number seven. I wish I could remember how many I've been to, but it's six or seven. Somewhere in there. And this is just my second, so I'm kind of a uh, I'm a noob. Yeah, they're all pretty similar, and so they kind of start to blur together over time, right? You've got, you've got various panels that you can go to. You've got your requisite Halo-themed panel, and then you've got a giant sprawl of you know, game demos that are set out with lines that rival Disneyland and 60,000 nerds packed into a convention center that's a little too small for 60,000 nerds. So I should, nerds isn't nice. I count myself among them, but I should say gaming enthusiasts. Is that, is that better? <laughs> yeah, it's much more PC. So what do you guys do when you got the packs? Like, uh, you got there on the Friday, did you both, or what? Yeah, I got up Thursday night. There was going to be a Halo gaff get-together that evening, but we left a little bit too late for it, so I just crashed at the hotel nearby. And then, uh, you know, I like to get up on Thursday night. That way we can actually go straight into PAX at, uh, around the time that it opens at 10 o'clock. We ended up getting in at 11 o'clock because the parking ramps were full, and I spent an hour wandering around downtown trying to find parking. But trust me, that's the least exciting part of the trip. So uh, whenever he's got into the convention center... Um... Isaac, did you get in the morning, or were you there the day before, or what was your entry like? Well, I came in on Thursday, and then I attended the, what is it, the Ricarbecue, the, the barbecue that Ricari hosted at his house. Um, and then, you say they start to blur together after six years, they start to blur together just by the days. I don't remember what I did that morning actually. I was I was staying with um Lionheart, who is the individual who is running Venerance, the Venerance mod, the Halo mod in uh, Crisis, and Brian Newman, uh, who was one of the guest voice actors on uh season ten of Red vs. Blue. Um and I believe we just kind of got up early and then went right to the convention center. I think we were there shortly after it opened. 
mostly because of a hour long or half hour commute. Nothing exciting. So what do you guys play first? Well, I went straight to the Halo line. I mean, that's, you know, I, I actually end up playing relatively few games at PAX just because the crowds are so big and the lines are so long. But Halo is always the thing that I go for. That's the thing that I went up for this year. That's for the community that I was going to hang out with. So Was there not, was there like two booths? Was there, was there one for the multiplayer and one for Spartan Ops? Or how was it set up? So they did have Spartan Ops on on demo but it was just a four-player setup um so it only had the four stations and it was part of the mad cats um area that's kind of on the sky bridge that links the two big show floors and so they just had a little mad cats booth i think they had three different games going on a total of like you know 12 maybe 16 screens and four of them were playing the e3 build of uh, spartan ops and there was a pretty small line for it, but as you can imagine, the line moved really, really slow because um, they were playing three videos before each game, like a trailer about Spartan Ops, something else about Infinity, and then the introductory video to the mission. And then you play through the mission itself, which depending on who's playing can take 10 to 15 minutes. And so four people, about 20 minutes of content, you can imagine about how quick the line was going. So uh, I, I didn't actually end up playing it. I waited in line for 45 minutes, after which I'd moved approximately eight feet. And then it was time to go to the Halo panel. I was in line on Saturday, and so I, I took off to that. I did get to play some multiplayer, though. Yeah, and I got some Spartan Ops in on the last day. Right, We were literally the last people in line before they closed it. So There's probably a lot more to say about multiplayer. I feel like um, a lot of the Spartan Ops stuff we kind of already knew. Um, and also, that said... I when I was playing, uh, as I said before, I spent significantly more time kind of looking at the layout of the map and the skybox and and all the art details, and uh, I kind of missed some of the actual combat. So I never got to fight a single knight, but I got to shoot at one watcher and kill a handful of crawlers. But you you didn't fight a single knight. No, everyone else ran ahead and took them out before I got there. <laughs> Where's the fun, guys? Where is it? Did I miss it? Where's the fun? Yeah, it was it was kind of like that. One thing that was interesting to me, uh, I don't know if this has been seen in any videos yet, probably if someone recorded off the screen, but uh, the pelican that comes to pick you up at the end of Spartan Ops has two uh, side seats, similar to the Falcon with, uh, with turrets mounted on them. That is very interesting. I did not know that. And uh, I think... Uh, there were two things that really stood out to me as far as story goes. I think everything else that was being said by Palmer as she talked to you uh, on the heads-up display uh, was kind of generic, go here, hit this button to open this door. Like, the Covenant have put up shields, hit this button to delete, to remove it. Um, lower the shields. Yeah. Um, <laughs> then at one point she said, the Covenant and the Prometheans, this isn't verbatim, but it was like the Covenant and the Prometheans are working together to defend or to reach the artifact or something like that. Um, and the artifact in question, uh, you hit you hit X around a button, and there's this big beam that comes up at the end of the level, and from the floor, uh, from this forerunner metal floor, raises a little box or some sort of rectangular forerunner thing. I looked I looked at it very closely, and there weren't any really uh, any details that gave any hints at what it was that I saw. So. Ark of the Covenant. That's the Forerunner MacGuffin. So that's cool. You said that so they did you actually see 
the Promethean units and the Covenant units working together? Did you actually see that? Uh, working together, no. Um, they had one. The first wave was Covenant, and then once you uh, take down, I think it was Covenant shield barriers. It might have been Forerunner, but they looked like Covenant. Uh, once you take those down, then the Promethean units start coming at you or in the final area. Because that would be interesting as well. I think we were all anticipating at some point a three-way battle between ourselves, maybe some Marines, and the Prometheans on one side and the Covenant on the other side. But having the Covenant and the Prometheans work together, I, I, I don't think that sounds favorable to me surviving Legendary. <laughs> no, and I'm still trying to consider... I mean, we were talking about in the forums how, how that makes sense, and I guess... It seems like half the people seem to think that's reasonable, and the other half think that it doesn't quite make sense without some more story behind it. So, well, and and anything can be reasonable with story. The gameplay comes first, of course, yeah. But it wasn't even apparent to me in the gameplay because they had the waves separated like that. So, how long was the mission? I mean, it was actually surprisingly short. It was, um, and and I'm not gonna lie, that left me a little disappointed. We were playing on heroic, and I was taking my time, obviously, so I thought that it would last a little bit longer, but I guess everyone else wasn't on the same page. But either way, it was maybe... Guys, come on, stop. I need to look at these rocks. <laughs> yeah, more or less. That's how it would have gone down. But yeah, I, I want to say it was like between 10 and 15 minutes, but that uh, I was I was immersed in the game. You know, I was not paying attention to how long it was going. Oh, by the way, did they have the cutscenes in it for the start of it? Because I know during the first time they showed it, there was like little animatics instead of the actual CGI cutscenes. Actually, they probably had the animatics because it was the E3 build, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that's annoying. They, they just had the closing cutscene where, you, where the, they don't even show you getting into the pelican. The pelican just flies off. That's cool. On to the, uh, the meat, the, uh, the actual main multiplayer demo. And uh, the the reveal of uh, CTF and the map exile. Uh, ben, what was your first impressions whenever you sat down and got your hands on this? Well, my first immediate impression was actually kind of mixed. Um, I kind of going from the videos, I knew that it played faster than Reach. I didn't quite know what to expect in terms of how it felt, and I was a little surprised at how. You know, people say, you know, does it feel like Halo? Does it feel like Halo? And so that's kind of what I was sitting down. I'm like, okay, moment of truth, does it feel like Halo? And I was kind of like, no. It doesn't quite feel like Halo. Um, they really captured the sense of you being an, a, you know, a walking tank in a way that they didn't in any of the other games. And they did that so effectively, it took me a little while to realize that they did that in ways that don't necessarily affect the gameplay directly. You know, my short first impression is it doesn't feel like Halo, but it plays like it. And that's the important thing. Um, and what I mean by that is, like, when you start walking, the first thing you notice is that you sound heavy. You can hear your boots on the ground, clunk, clunk, clunk. When you start running, you, you hear your suit rustling, you hear metal on metal, you hear your feet hitting the ground really hard. The, the screen kind of bobs a little bit bit in a way that it didn't in reach. You've got HUD elements that kind of shift subtly to kind of give you the effect of being a head in a helmet as opposed to the whole camera shifting. And so the combination of all those elements make it feel very different than past Halo games. But once you actually get into combat, you realize that you're as agile as you were in Halo 2 and Halo 3. You realize you can jump as high as you 
in those games, though you come down a little bit faster like you did in Reach. You, you realize that that core gameplay is still there, and it's there in a way that, that, that wasn't in Reach. But they've managed to kind of convey that weightiness that's in Reach without directly <clears throat> affecting the gameplay. I thought it was a pretty remarkable balance. Um, but it, it, it absolutely plays like quintessential Halo. There, there's a, a heavy emphasis on gunplay. Kill times are relatively quick, again, compared to Reach. That, that was kind of my, my first impression. The first game I played, I can't I'm going to get the map names mixed up, um, but it's the really clean Forerunner aesthetic. Is, is that a Haven? So the first game was on Haven, and I have to say, like, sometimes it's hard to judge maps right off the bat, but Haven was a very, very good layout. Um, the aesthetic is clean, the sight lines are relatively long, but you're never stuck in a hallway very long. So you, know, you can see down the sides of the, a good distance. Um, because it's multi-level, there's always places where you can break off from those sight lines, so you're not just stuck in a long-range shootout from someone. You can peel off to the side, you can go up a ramp, you can jump off a man cannon, you can drop down to the next level. There's long sight lines, but the, the movement routes are broken up so that you can the, the map flows, it's very fluid. Um, and I, I thought it just played very, very well. I think it's interesting that you mentioned the aesthetic, because that was actually one of the most disappointing things about the map to me. I mean, it's got a good, clean look to it, but there isn't much interesting going on in the map for someone like me who is, is very into the story and the the real the background of, of the area that you're playing in. But yes, I agree. Gameplay-wise, that was a very solid layout. and It actually reminded me a lot of... Um, what is it? Zealot? Is it Zealot from Reach? The one in the Corvette? Yeah, yeah. It has the central I platform. I hope you upper... didn't just say that. <laughs> well, it's... I I guess I can't say... It's almost circular, but the circle doesn't completely go around the top portion. I don't know. That's just what it reminded me of, how it has a central area where everyone kind of funnels into, and then two levels going around the outside, an upper and a lower level. But nobody funnels into the center in Zelda. Yeah, yeah. True. They just yeah. go did, in a merry-go-round. Did, did it feel a little bit bigger than Zealot to you? Oh, it was it was much bigger, yeah. Okay, yeah, because it, it felt like the sight lines were much longer. You know, the walls were less curvy, more angular. Because mm -hmm. as soon as you mentioned Zealot there, I was like, oh, crap. That's not a good thing. Well, it doesn't say. mean they can't take that, make a spiritual successor to that that's better, you know? Yeah, I mean, you can describe it in general terms of being, you know, a, a two-level map that flows in a circular shape and has kind of a central area. Right, that's that's a very high level description. Yeah, it, it, I didn't feel like it played very similar to Zealot, in that I I never felt like I was really getting pinged from all directions at once. That the the map flow was a little cleaner than that. I think there were more things to break up the sight lines at the crucial corners and whatnot. Yeah. Okay. What about um the other older map, Warhouse? I changed it now. Adrift. Yeah, I got to play a couple games on that one. That one's got an interesting skybox because it's a some sort of ship or yeah the gas giant below that and then if you look out over the prow of the ship or uh, the vessel whatever it is that you're on there's like either shots being fired on it or meteor impacts that are just kind of raining down consistently it's it's a really cool really cool aesthetic yeah you're it's uh, the fiction behind that is that you're on a mining ship that's trapped in the gravity well of a gas giant I think hmm. was that in one of the bulletins. Yeah, probably. <laughs> but then again, that begs the question of if they're going to give it that backstory, doesn't that kind of cancel out the whole backstory if it's a simulation? 
it's a simulation of being trapped on a mining ship. Yeah. Yeah, I think the idea is that they're real places that they're simulating. So it's like, oh, here's this place that we found, and it looked like this, and so we're going to simulate that environment. It does yeah. seem a, it does seem a little bit goofy to say it's all just a simulation. You're playing on the holodeck, but here's this great, grand, dramatic situation. Give them this. In, the, in Star Trek, whenever they used the holodeck, it di- they didn't make it look like the holodeck. They made it look like um, um, on pirate ships and forests and all these grand different places yep, that actually yep. existed in the universe. They didn't make it look like a holodeck. They were never on Although a pirate I don't, ship. I don't think this is going to be similar to the holodeck in that it's all an actual physical area that they're, I guess, reenacting these locations in. I, I think there's a lot more... F- I, I talked to someone on the show floor um, about this, and, uh, of course, he couldn't he couldn't say anything, but, you know, I, I made sure to bring up the thing, the points that people are kind of curious about, whether this is a physical area that they're fighting within, and if so, then why are they stabbing each other in the face if they have to go out on real missions afterwards? See, I, I think you're, you're, you're poking too deeply. They wanted to add this layer of fiction... To- no, not even fiction. They just want to add this layer to wrap it all up. I think to tell me that I'm poking too deeply after seeing everything that 343 Industries has poured into this game is not doing credit to the level that they're trying to achieve. Like, isn't there like a big massive space on the Infinity Four? Just, it's a holodeck. It's a danger room holodeck. Material. I'm just saying I think there's going to be a little more story that we haven't been given yet that's going to really help flesh it out. And uh, the the new map, they showed off the the new map there with uh, with CTF, the not controversial at all new CTF. <laughs> so, um, you guys want to talk about? Uh, we'll talk about the map first. What do you think the, uh, of the of the new map, Exile? Go ahead, Ben. No, I was going to say I don't actually don't have a lot to say about it, even though I played several games on it. Because um, you know, as you've probably seen from the videos, the map was set up so that there's two goshogs two banshees, and a scorpion on the map. And in my very first game, the other team clearly had some idea what they were doing because they pulled out with the scorpion, and they promptly blew up our goshog and banshee, and then I spent the rest of the game being spawn camped by the goshog and the banshee and the scorpion. And that may or may not have been me in the turret. Yeah, well, it it felt very familiar, you know. It it, it felt sounds like, like a it, matchmaking experience. Yeah, it felt like Reach had just launched, and I was playing Paradiso, and I was spawning outside and immediately dying because these dudes had set up camp outside my base. And my first thought was, "Well, some things never change. It's it's Halo, all right. It feels like Halo, you know." So I I never really got to check out about eighty percent of the map because even though I played the game twice. That was the outcome of both games. Um, our team got camped by a Gauss hog, and I got close to their flag once, but I never actually touched it and had the fantastic music that roars and lets you know that you've picked up the flag. But I got close. But yeah, so like my impressions were, hey, map looks beautiful, respawn. That, that, that's all I got. And the map does the map does look really good. Yeah, I, I hope that's not the matchmaking implementation because. You know, the Scorpion and the Gauss Hog I don't think are really suited for anything other than a crazy heavies type game. 
Well, what we what we played was also an earlier build as well. I heard, uh, I think Jessica said that they were past that point internally. Yeah, I, I hope so. Like I said, I hope it was just kind of for exhibition. Here's a bunch of crazy stuff so that people can jump in vehicles and blow things up. Whatever. Yeah, I mean, it reminds me of like Bungie would crank up. What do they do for all the combat dialogue or whatever? When they showed Halo Three, they cranked up the skip fractions so people would. Yeah, it was yeah. like the "I would have been your daddy" skull was on all the time, and then some, just yeah, to make it more entertaining for reviewers. So. Yeah, so I'm I'm hoping that's the case. So I I was really interested to try out CTF with the new settings. Didn't really get a chance to have a strong impression of it. I think I played two, maybe even three games on it, um, but was always on the receiving end of a dong fest and so I never got to do anything. So Isaac, as as the donger, not the dong e, how was your experience on the map? Well, just like Spartan Ops, uh first little round I kinda took my time to look at the aesthetic of the map. Then I got killed, then I realized I should probably play. And uh next time I spawned there was the goshog sitting right in front of me and I went on a killing spree immediately. So, so. you like the map then? Yeah, it was a great map. I think uh, it felt really well, and um, I like the way they really balance how the how the players spawn right in front of you. <laughs> yeah, I actually got to try out the Goss turret, the Scorpion, and the Banshee. So, oh, 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 you you touched the Banshee. I did. I I I seen from the videos. It's not the Reach Banshee. It's slower to maneuver in almost every way from those videos. Does it handle like the Reach Banshee? It. Uh... See, I'm not as familiar with all the, the more minute differences. Um, to me, it felt like the Reach Banshee maybe slowed down a little bit in, in how fast you move forward. Um, the rolling, you know, the maneuvers were obviously very, very different, and I didn't have time to adjust to those. Um, it didn't feel as effective at immediately dodging whatever's coming at you, and I imagine it's going to be much harder to avoid those, you know, that incoming fire by doing that. All that said, the way the primary plasma cannon shoots is like one of the most impressive things. I think it's the same with the ghost too. It reminded me a little bit of Halo Legends um, in uh, Origins Part 2 when the Banshee kind of drops down into the hangar and the camera cuts away right as it starts firing on the Marines. It's just this really fast, rapid machine gun fire and it's not quite that speed, but it's extremely fast and just it, it, that's what it made me think of. Cool. Very effective. I didn't get to try the um, the fuel rod though, so I, I can't speak for that. Green cloud of death. Matchmaking up something as well. I was hoping to say, well, it's definitely not, or it definitely is. Was that? So how how much of the CTF mode did you play then? Did did your map experience get in your way of? Um, of CTF? No, it didn't. It was just that first spawn that I kind of looked around, and then I definitely played the most on uh, on Exile. Uh, I never got to touch the flag. I never killed a flag carrier. Um, I saw a couple flags from a distance and shot at the dudes that had them, and then respawned. No, literally. I mean, I, I really, I have great impressions of the other maps, but like that one. Uh-uh. I was adrift by the way. I never. You never really elaborate much on the actual flow and layout of the map yourself. If I were to compare it to another map, you'd probably yell at me again. <laughs> but it, it reminded me a bit of Condemned. That might have been an aesthetic thing, uh, but I think some of the layout was also somewhat evocative of that. 
Yeah, I, th I think it was similar to Condemned in some ways. I think the aesthetics play into that. I think, I thought in terms of how it played, I, again, don't, the layout is nothing like it. But in terms of like the average encounter distance and just how firefights played out, it reminded me a little bit of Countdown. Again, it's not a vertical map, it doesn't have the lifts, but I'm talking just like engagement distance. You know, the longest engagement that you're in is kind of across that central area, and that's kind of what, what it felt like. But, you know, like you said on Condemned, there's there's lots of lots of hard 90-degree turns, lots of kind of interconnected rooms with different ramps and ways to move up and down them, objects in the center of rooms to kind of strafe around. Yeah, and then the large room in the center. Uh, in Condemned, it was low gravity. In this one, it featured the mech. But either way, there was a large object in the center that you kind of circled around while you had these engagements. And, you know, I, I t historically, I have not liked the human-themed maps, partly because I think it's just the aesthetic and partly because the geometry tends to be chunkier and I prefer kind of a, a cleaner aesthetic that, that reads a little better. You didn't um, like Last Resort? No, like um, like the other map, the, the Forerunner run we were talking about, <laughs> Haven. You know, those, those, those tend to be the maps that I like the most. But, um, you know, it, it played very, very well. There are a lot of... You, you never really feel kind of trapped in one particular place. There's a lot of ways to get out, whether you're, if you're down low. You know, they did a good job kind of putting angled geometry up against the wall so you can get up to the next level very quickly. It just... It, it, it never felt like it took very long to get back to your team. And it helped that I was rocking the loadout where I, I selected mobility, so I had a limited sprint. I picked that one every time, too. Yeah. Was there any uh, texture grenades getting stuck in textures problems or anything like that? No, nothing like that. One thing, like I said earlier, that it's a very gun-heavy game, and I've been thinking a lot about why that is. You know, one is just that the the gunplay is so good that it feels like what you want to use. But the other is that the kill times are a little bit quicker than Reach, I think. But it's also because grenades and melee have been somewhat de-emphasized. Grenades are de-emphasized because enemies don't drop grenades unless you've selected a specific perk. And then melee is significantly neutered because even though everybody has sprint, when you're sprinting and get shot, you slow down. And you slow down... I'll have to do experiments, but it felt like almost down to your regular walking speed. So like you're still kind of doing your reach animation, your, your, your sprint animation, you're still kind of chugging, but as you take fire, you slow down. So you can't do the old sprint up to someone and punch them twice because you're sprinting toward them, but they're backpedaling. They're going to shoot you to death. Yeah, and I, I had that happen to me many times. I was trying to do the, the double melee just like in Reach, and it wasn't working for me. Yeah, and I, I was delighted. Like, melee, when there were opportunities for it, felt powerful. You know, it, I, was ki I was definitely killing guys that had a little bit of shield left. You know, there's not the shield delimiter that we had with Reach. Hmm. It didn't feel overpowered. Definitely at least a two-smack if someone has shields up. You know, like you said, it's like you're, you're not going to be sprinting up to guys while they're desperately trying to drop your shields for the headshot, only for you to come up and smack them twice. They, they, they really effectively neutered that behavior. And they really had to, since everybody has sprint now. So that, that was, like, one of the big reliefs. And the other is, like, on, on paper, I really objected to the whole people don't drop grenades thing. And I think in concept I still do, but it felt like grenades had been returned kind of to their proper role as a support weapon. Um, even though I, you know, I, I, I compared like the engagement distance to, on um, a drift to countdown, 
you know, Countdown is a grenade spam fest, right? <laughs> Around every corner, you've got grenades hurling from all directions, and those things are nuclear bombs of death. Here, they're they're kind of back to being shield strippers, like they were in Halo 3. I don't quite know how they accomplished that. I, I suspect that they do more damage to shield than they do to your underlying health. But um, No, I know exactly how they accomplished that. They're using a generation of Mjolnir that came after Mark VI. It's obvious. In Reach, we had Mark V. There you go. Yeah, something like that. But, well, uh, one wee question. How how do the grenades actually look in-game? Because in Reach, it looks like you're throwing pineapples. You know, I can't say I remember that. I, I It felt like the grenade throwing was very similar to Reach. Like, there's always that adjustment period because every single game tinkers with the throwing arc a little bit. But do but they like, look like pineapples? But do they look like these big, gigantic, what the hell am I using a beach ball here sort of thing? I have to say that wasn't high on my list of the things to check out. So, um, <laughs> um, I want to I say that they feel smaller, but again, I also wasn't paying too much attention to that. This is one wee thing that bothered me going from 3D Reach was the grenades are turning into pineapples, and I was like, but, what? Yeah. But throw, yeah. throwing feels good, and it feels familiar. Like, I was immediately, with the first couple throws, chucking grenades right where I wanted them to go. It reminds me a little bit more of Halo 2's grenade throw, though. Like, there's a more pronounced arc on it, as far as I remember. It's been a long time since I played Halo 2, so I don't have a good point of reference on that one. Do your grenades still have that wee chink whenever they, we do we tank whenever you, you throw one nearby so you can hear it? Is that still... But I think it's a little bit harder to discern, because the game as a whole is a lot noisier. Yeah. You know, I said I said before that like your suit is making noise and your boots are clump clumping and if you're in a firefight with a bunch of other guys and their suits are also making noise and their feet are also clump clumping, I found it hard to pick out certain key sounds like grenades tinking or plasma grenades about to go off or someone walking up behind me. Yeah, not to mention they have the grenade indicators. Yeah, yeah. I, I really can't complain. After it reaches mini nooks, anything would be an improvement. In terms of toning them down, at I've concluded that kind of the ends have justified the means, right? Because grenades are returned to their proper role. Aside from maybe the very start of a match when everybody's got a pair and they're chucking them out of habit, you don't get caught in these, you know, grenade hailstorms. It just doesn't happen, and so you have to, it forces you to be a little more tactical about how you use them. See, that, that was um, that reminds me of the North. I wanted. I was hoping you guys would have got more time with CTF because, um, like I said, it's not really controversial. At all people up across the internet weren't outraged at all at the proposed changes to CTF. I was actually hoping you guys would have provided uh, an insight into just how it actually plays out differently. And if it's well, I can I can speak a little bit to that. Are you a big fan of it, or? Oh, I love Capture the Flag. I... It's been more prevalent at LAN parties than matchmaking for me, but... Well, just how, how does it play? How does Halo 4's CTF play with those... On paper, I'm saying, on paper, those changes sound mind-bogglingly stupid. They go against a lot of the principles about CTF, so how does it play out? I think the biggest thing is that it speeds up the process. It speeds up the whole match uh, quite significantly. I mean, I felt like I had grabbed the flag and then had gotten it back to the flag capture point without really... I, I think at that point in the game, people were having engagements on the other side of the map. Maybe a vehicle had just gotten up or something. I, I don't know what was going on, but I was. it was kind of uncontested. It, I mean, even with the notification that I was carrying the flag and Jeff Steitzer yelling at you to protect your flag, you know, I, I still captured it within a minute. 
and it's a it's a rel it's a smaller map than it looks like in the pictures too. It's it definitely doesn't take as long to move from one side to the other as one might think. And the distance between the two flags felt relatively small as well. I mean, it's it's like a sub ten second drive with a vehicle. Yeah. Just as a as a point of reference here, when it comes to the controversy for CTF, we're talking specifically about one no dropping the flag, two auto pick up the flag, and three total visibility of the flag carrier at all times. And I'm gonna be really honest, I did not notice any of those except for the visibility of the flag carrier. Those other ones, I didn't even notice the, when I played. At all, I, I read up on that later, and I was like, "Oh, really?" I I don't know about about you, about you and about Dave, but even playing with uh, Ben even years and years ago in Halo Three, I can easily recount a number of matches where it was CTF. You grab the enemy flag, and then you hide, and you hide, and you hide. They don't find you, and somehow you get warthog to that flag, and you beam it back into your base for the cap. And those moments made Halo for me. Well, isn't there some discussion that what was shown at PAX might have been a custom just to allow everyone, like you said, to allow everyone to have more fun? My understanding is that's the new CTF. And yeah, well, I, I don't know if it'll be exact, but my understanding, I mean, like the, the big three, you know, not being able to drop the flag, pulling out the pistol when you have the flag, you know, all the all the UI elements, you know, my, my understanding is all those things are very much set in stone for the new CTF. They added throwing with the oddball. Why can't you just throw the flag like javelin style? Like, I understand, again, on paper, why they made these changes. I think they were trying to make it more stupid-proof. You know, it's you go in, what do you do? Ah, oh, flag, okay. How do you pick it up? Oh, it's auto-pickup. Okay, you have flag, run. That's all you have to do when you get the flag. Now you run, you go from point A to point B, you have to do it, hurry up. In conversation with folks at 343 while we were there, you, know, you heard a number of different explanations for why they set it up the way that they did. Um, what you know, the the main reason for not I, I can think of two reasons. One of which I heard, which was they're trying to push people into more dedicated roles, and so they want the guy that's going after the flag to be the guy that goes after the flag. That's really the only element of the new CTF that I'm not completely sold on, mm -hmm. just because there's so many circumstances under which it would be awfully nice to put it down. Right, you pick up the flag, you step around the corner. There's two dudes there with battle rifles. You have a magnum. It'd be really nice to set the flag down at that point and you know run. Because in every other Halo game, you could do that. You're used yeah. to doing that, and that's what your well, instincts I... will tell you whenever you're playing. Put down the flag, or you're or you're carrying rockets. That's one thing as well. If you're carrying sniper rockets, shotgun, you can't take them out. They're locked into your armor. Thinking about it from like the the purpose of the change it's to it's to push players into those specific roles so if you have rockets unless you've got a clean break on the flag you shouldn't be going after the flag you should be supporting whoever's going to be like what happens if you're 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 fighting the enemy team over the flag and you're defending the flag someone else is carrying it and you're doing your best and you know how how hectic a match can get in terms of people jumping all over the place and explosions going on what happens if you're shooting some guy with say the sniper rifle you're defending your flag you're a real good team player the flag carrier dies you're scoped in you don't see you accidentally get farted into the flag and they're holding the flag you get de-scoped out of your sniper and you're holding a stupid pistol I, pre I predict that's going to happen and that it's going to be a problem. I also think, you know, the same situation when you're in the flag room and, like, you're fighting guys and you're in the room and they're defending it. If you bump into that thing, you're going to scoop it up and be kind of screwed. 
Now wait, has it been confirmed that it's also when you walk over it, it auto picks up when it's at the it's at the up. base? Yep. I, I'm guessing you pressed X out of reflex, but it is yeah. auto pickup that is confirmed. Um, we, I, I, I asked about how wide the pickup zone was. I requested that it be as wide as the flagpole, so that you've really got to walk through it to pick it up. And they didn't know exactly how wide it is. I'm hoping it's very small. But yeah, all those situations that Danny was talking about, I'm predicting are going to be problems. And yeah, I'm still, partly because I didn't get a chance to play it, I'm having a hard time getting too upset about it. Because I think that on balance, all of the changes that they made, it's still going to be a fun CTF mode. And I think it's going to be a little more accessible to the extent that it makes objective games more popular, meaning that I can play them more. I'm kind of supportive of the fact that they're actually thinking outside of the box and saying, what can we do to get people to play objectives more? Sorry, the only thing with that is that they took away the ability to, to change any of those options in, in custom games. So we, they're, they're, we they're forcing... Know, we don't know that for sure. Well, they they asked it, and then they said, "Well, we can't talk about that." That's it's... Well, yeah. I mean, the game's not done, right? I I just assume anytime they say we're not going to talk about that, usually that means it's because it's not done or it's still being finalized. Or yeah, whatever. it's only. A few I would months. I would be shocked if there wasn't the ability to play classic CTF in custom games. The um the other mode I played was Regicide, which I expected to be basically a free for all. And I expected it to play just pretty much like free-for-all Slayer, which is basically what it is, but with a twist. But the twist is actually really, really fun. You know, for those that don't know, it's basically a free-for-all mode. It's kind of a hybrid between Juggernaut and just typical free-for-all Slayer, where at the start of the game, one player is the, is the devoted... I don't even know what they're called. Are they king? Are they leader? I think it's, I think it's king. Yeah, so one player is the king. And as you kill other players, you get points. And I think a regular kill is worth 25 points. But the king um, starts out worth more points. I think it was 25. So the king's worth 25. Everybody else is worth 10. So you're still going to get points for killing dudes. But the king has a really big bounty on him. And the cool thing is that the king, the bounty gets bigger every time the king kills someone. So I think he gets buffed in some way. I can't remember what way, if it's an overshield or something like that. You get an overshield, I think... Um after 30 seconds as the king without dying interesting so it's got a little bit of a headhunter influence on there too yeah right 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 exactly so anyway so like what's fun about it is the king is constantly rotating and periodically like the bounty on the king will get really really big and i, I was the um i was the king like twice very briefly but it was a genuine rush because as soon as the game says you are the king it's an adrenaline rush, right? You know everybody is coming after you, but they still have an incentive to go after one another, which is something they didn't have when they're playing Juggernaut, right? Everybody goes after the Juggernaut and Juggernaut. You know, here the thing is to try and play people off one another. You know, get get into crossfires and back out and finish guys off. Try and funnel people through areas where they're going to be shooting each other in the back and you can weaken them down. So there is a lot of strategy to, okay, I'm the king, but these guys still hate each other. It's not all... You know, it's not seven versus one, um, but it was it was a tremendous amount of fun. And the king rotated regularly. Um, it bounced like every 10 seconds. Someone else was becoming the king and cycling through. No one person really ran away with it. I was actually expecting expecting anyone to enjoy that sort of move. That was one of those little things that's always there, eh? whatever. But you actually said it sounds like it, it properly shakes things up a little bit. I think it's going to be a lot more popular than Juggernaut was, say. You know, they, they kind of 
in all of the game types, I think they've done a lot of time analyzing them and trying to figure out what was impeding them from becoming more popular or voted or voted in, uh. and um, in order to justify putting the resources on them. And I think with Regicide, they really kind of figured out the the right way to tweak Juggernaut um, and make it more fun for everybody. It's interesting to hear you say all that because when I played, I more or less played it like free for all, and I won. So, I think that's one of the. I don't know. I, th I think that's kind of a good thing that they came up again. I, th I think the goal of Regicide relative to, um, uh, relative to Juggernaut, was to make the game more fun and more engaging for people who are not the Juggernaut. Because um, mm -hmm. I played games of Juggernaut where I never got to be the Juggernaut, and it just kind of sucked because you'd run after the guy, he'd kill you with the hammer. And then you'd run after him again, and he'd kill you with the hammer, and that was the whole game. Yeah, it feels like a good middle ground. Right, exactly. It's, it's, it's kind of a compromise where you have an incentive to go after this one guy, and there's kind of a bonus to being that one guy, but you don't have to, and you still have a chance to win um, if you don't happen to be that one guy. Yeah, I think, I think the other reason I won is that I actually discovered halfway through the map that the assault rifle, the, the new generation of the assault rifle is actually a beast that thing i mean it, it's way more effective than any of the assault rifles we've seen since at least combat evolved wow and i'm kicking myself because that's the one weapon that i really wanted to try and completely forgot to I, I didn't set it up on a custom loadout or anything and i never picked one up yeah i never i never really wanted to try it, it wasn't wasn't something on my list to try because it's an assault rifle we've had assault rifles for so many games and then when i finally just decided what the hell i'll throw it on i started wrecking that sound is neogaf crying i think it's a good thing yeah i mean that's the i would give 343 major major props if they can manage to make with everyone running around with their chosen marksman precision weapon if they can make it not be okay i'm going to go with an assault rifle and not be a laughing stock because you can actually do something yeah i one thing that it actually did make me kind of curious to try is what happens if you pulse the assault rifle from a distance how much damage can you do over a greater distance if you're uh, not spamming the trigger did you get to see about um the scope knockout i did not that that's something I meant. That's something I meant to play around with a little bit more as well, because that's one of the things that really bugs me in games when you, you know, they, for whatever reason, you've got a floating reticle. You know, in something like Deus Ex, your reticle is kind of bobbing around, so it's a game of trying to line it up right. And this one, my big concern is that with the three X scope on the D, on the DMR, you're going to scope in on someone, and you're going to start getting pinged, and your reticle is going to bob around, and you're going to be sitting there not being able to line up your shots. I, I never really got to get into an extended shootout with anyone on a, while it was scoped, partly because on the large map um, on Exile I was too busy uh, respawning. You know, without paying super close attention to it, I can say that it never bothered me. Um, so if there's a flinch or if there's kind of a reticle bob, I don't think it's very significant. I do think I liked not getting knocked out of scope. You know, one of the things with Reach, especially with the extended range of the DMR, is you can get into these cycles where, okay, there's someone in a distance, you zoom in, you get pinged, you zoom out. Okay, you zoom back in to line up your shot because he's too small to hit um, without being scoped. You get pinged, you unzoom, and you get into these loops where it's zoom, 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 and then you die. 
Um, and I think that's what this particular design decision was intended to alleviate. They knew they were going to have ranged combat, and they wanted to come up with a somewhat more humane way to let you fight back when you're getting pinged from distance. Now, how much of how many of the uh, uh, what are they being called now? You know, the, the armor abilities. How many of those did you get to try out? You know, I had the best of intentions when I went to PAX. I was going to be like, all right, I'm going to try out all of the armor abilities. I'm going to do these different play styles. I'm going to try every game type. And what I did is I went in and I made a custom loadout. And I picked a custom loadout that I thought would cater to my play style. I like to be quick. And then I used that for every damn game. So I played with mobility. So I had unlimited sprint. I played with, I think it's called Agility, which quickens the pace at which you switch weapons and reload. Dexterity, I think. Dexterity, thank you, that's right, that's what it is. So I used Dexterity, and then I used the Thruster Pack. You know, all these things to help you be quick. Mm -hmm. um, and I liked that combo so much, I just stuck with it for every game. Which is funny, because that's actually kind of a proof of concept for what 343 is trying to do, which is to give everyone a set of options that lets them find their preferred play style and then get comfortable with it. And that's exactly what I did. I said, here's what I want to do. Oh, hey, it works. I like it. And then I stuck with it. So um, so I can give my impressions on those three things and nothing else. Well, okay, so what did you think of the thrusters? Um, I was relieved. Um, I was worried that it was going to be a somewhat nerfed evade, but not nerfed enough. Um, and it, it serves the same kind of role, but it's much more limited in use than I thought it was going to be. Like, you get, like, maybe a one second, maybe a three-quarter second burst, and that's it. And then you have to recharge. And it doesn't, it doesn't move you very far either. No, it doesn't. It felt like maybe not even the distance of a single roll from Evade. Um, it's really just kind of a quick hop. I felt like in some cases when I was using it, I don't know if it was just kind of a, from situation to situation, if I was just in an area where I wouldn't have felt it as much. But sometimes I almost felt like it played the animation where it went into third person, then I popped out of third person, and I felt like I was still in the exact same place. Yeah, you really don't move very far. And that's the one thing I really didn't like about it, was that third person animation transition. Because, you know, you think about the times you go into third person in Halo, it's when you're going to be doing something for a while, right? Okay, you've picked up this big heavy gun, you're going to be lugging it around, or you've gotten into a vehicle, you're going to go driving. Here you've got an ability that lasts one second. And in that time, they're going to pull out to third person so you can see your thrusters going off, and then they're going to pull back into first person. And I just found it really disorienting. Like, I had a hard time lining up shots, I had a hard time just kind of getting my bearings after I used it. Now, wasn't it originally in first person, and then they pulled it back to third for this build? I, I don't remember seeing that, but that's what people were telling me, is that it, it, it used to be in first person, kind of similar to Evade. Um, and, and my hope is, for the final game, they go back to it. Like, unless their goal was to disorient, which it may have been. But other than that, I thought it was a fantastic ability. It was a little more difficult to abuse than Evade. The coolest thing about it, at least what I thought was, is that you can use it in midair. So, like, you can jump and then thrust to the side. Yeah. Did So, did you get to see the, um, uh, I forget what it's called, is it is it Sentinel? 
or uh, I guess it wouldn't be Sentinel because that's another designation in Halo. But the you know, I I, I didn't do my homework properly because I didn't know that thing existed until I got back from E3 or back oh, really? from PAX rather, and like I saw a video of it, and I'm like, holy cow, that looks mm-hmm. cool! But I, I I never got to check it out. I just settled into my groove. Oh, the auto turret. Yeah. Okay. It hovers just above you know head height and shoots at anyone who gets nearby. And I heard that it shoots the same rounds as the bolt shot, but that's not confirmed or anything. So I thought the watcher or the whatever they're calling it, sentinel, whatever, was interesting. Um, I'm also I also noticed that the the animation used for the regenerative field and for spawning the watcher thing uh, were exactly the same, which is where the Spartan kind of. Uh, fans out his limbs uh like the i don't know what you'd call that the anyway fans out his limbs and and then the regenerative field drops or the or the watcher spawns out and i gotta wonder like what's the spartan doing why where's that robot coming from are you talking about the animation that someone on gaff i think did it it looks like he's just pooping out a regen field yeah more or less Hopefully that's just placeholder. Yeah, I I think for the... Well, I don't know. I, I feel like it would be better for the regen field. Um, and it would make more sense for the Watcher if he just kind of has an animation where he throws it up or something. But, I mean, like, throws it up in the air. Someone explained it to me one time. Uh, it was supposed to be, like, the, the shield expanding outwards. But the effect doesn't really look like a shield expanding outwards at all. We got some more Spartan off stuff, I guess, but we kind of ran past that. No one cares about story stuff. Oh, just funny because Spartan Ops is actually the piece of the game that I'm most looking forward to. But I didn't get to play it. I feel like we know relatively little about it. Well, I can tell you a few things that really impressed me about it. Um, and and they're kind of similar, but uh, first of all. The feel of the Covenant um, is similar to Reach, but they've got a much... I think this is kind of what they were going for. Um, It's much more intimidating. Um, The Jackals don't feel weird at all. They feel just like the Jackals we've fought across all the Halo games. The Elites feel far more intimidating than they've ever felt in any of the Halo games. Um, And I think that partially has to do with the fact that they've boosted their height significantly so that when you run up to melee one... The head of the elite is literally going off the screen. You feel like you have to crane your neck to look up at him, which is a great feeling. That's cool. The grunts, I still am kind of struggling to be okay with. On one hand, they're much more like the grunts that were described in the novels. They're these vicious, nasty little things. On the other hand, they're just new and unfamiliar, not quite as funny. Uh, Actually, as far as I played against them, they weren't funny at all. They didn't have any funny... English lines, they seem to all be speaking in the Covenant dialect. Um, but I guess if they're going for uh, a close approximation of what was in the novels, then they've succeeded at that. They do feel like just these nasty, vicious little swarming critters. Um, now, the I feel like for the Promethean units, the Watchers and Crawlers are pretty perfectly expressed in the E3 demo. If you watch that, that's pretty much exactly what it feels like to fight them as far as I experienced. Um, and like I said, I didn't get to fight a knight, but I did get to look over someone's shoulder as he was fighting a knight. And there was this really great moment where 
I, I don't know if he was on legendary or heroic, but either way, he was his shields were down and he had two knights, and there was no way he was going to take them out. And, and he looked like an experienced Halo player, so he went and hid behind a crate or uh, something to obstruct his his view of them. And he peeked around the corner, and it was just like something out of Aliens. I mean, just like it was like watching the Alien Queen walk up to to Ripley. There's those long legs and the way. They're a lot taller in the game than the E3 demo, I think, really gives the impression of. Um, and then they're just so creepy when they're kind of stalking you, just with these long, spindly legs, kind of this hunched-over form, the way they kind of peer around the corners. It's it's a very ominous, eerie feeling, and I think that's perfect. I, I, like, how, I, I like how relatively little of Spartan Ops they've shown. I mean, to my knowledge, we've just seen this one mission, and there's like 50 missions. So I'm kind of hoping they keep that up to, you know, up until the game comes out. Like, I don't really care to see a whole lot more. Yeah, and they also have a mission with very little story dialogue to give anything away. But conversely, that has me a wee bit worried, though, because... If there's a wide variety of missions there, why would they not want to show you a variety of missions rather than just one that looks very samey, you know? One thing that did leave me a little disappointed, and I can't say I wasn't expecting it, but it was disappointing nonetheless, is that um, it was pretty much Firefight, where every so often the announcer would come up and say, or Palmer would come up and say, run to this location and hit X to keep running. And that's more or less what it was. You run from button to button, which, you know, puts down shields or opens the door. But all you're doing is you're running to a button and you're hitting X. And I feel like if that's what it is across all of Spartan Ops, there's going to be, it's not going to be as fun as, as as they were planning. So I really hope that there's some more interesting objectives further down the line that kind of spice it up a little bit. Those 50 missions of running and pressing X and then going to our place, oh, that sounds dire. That doesn't, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I, I would put some confidence in them at this point, to give them the benefit of the doubt that not all missions would be that linear, you know? Well, I've, I heard two things while I was at PAX, again, from just kind of chatter. Um, thing one was that that mission had actually been modified somewhat for exhibition in that it had been shortened and altered considerably. Mm. Um, it had been shortened and altered considerably, um, just so people weren't getting lost, and so it was a more compact experience um, to play publicly. And the other is that the mission has gotten a tremendous amount of work since then. Apparently, there's a lot more polish. Um, you know, it's been upgraded visually. The the encounters play out differently. So, I... yeah, there was one encounter where I opened a door. And there were literally like seven or eight grunts. I just threw one plasma grenade and killed them all. And I saw other people doing the exact same thing. So it also felt like they had kind of stripped the whole mission so that you're just playing the uh, the back end of it, the, the ending portion. Because when you start out, you're just kind of already down there. There's no real introduction to how your Spartans got to where they are. Do we want to talk about Griffball? <laughs> Do you really want to? Well, they've cool. they've made a lot of significant changes, so I I think it's great what they're doing with it. They're adding more functions that kind of makes the game more challenging, and you can add more strategy to it. So I think it's really cool what they're doing. It's it's not really Griffball. It is and it isn't. Griffball has rhymes. Griffball has rhymes. 
That was weird. Keep scoring because you could set up with a good team, kill off the enemy team, and just keep scoring, pass, score, score. Because the thing respawns as soon as you score. You have a guy standing at the score point, throw to him, scores, throw to him, score. Yeah, I don't think we know at this point if they have the capability to enter rounds. I did see that, you know, Griffball Hub and Milkyard and others were up in arms about that because, like you said, it's, you know, if Griffball is a sport in any sport, you know, anywhere, when there's a, a point scored, um, possession changes hands. There's kind of a reset that takes place. And right now that reset is not in place in Griffball. And so if they manage to do, quote, official Griffball support with a dedicated game type and all these new features they're adding for it and blow that part of the game, it will be an enormous lost opportunity. Because like Danny was saying, it's not going to play well at all. It's going to be one, one team is just going to run the train on the other and that's going to be the game. I, I just don't understand how they could support a fan-based mode like that. and It's not really full support. It's like, here, here's a game type. Go nuts. Living Dead was a fan mode. You know, people played it in Halo 2 with, with honor rules, and then it was it was turned yeah. into a fully-fledged mode. Yeah, but they didn't fundamentally change Living Dead from Halo 2's fan version to Halo 3's uh, official version. They didn't fundamentally change it. The Halo 4's Griff Ball looks like a fundamental redesign of the core rules of the game. That's like, I don't think any Griff Ball fan, I, I, those weird people that do exist, I don't think any of them wanted that, you know? I, I don't I'm, know, I, I, guess, I guess I'm not assuming we saw was all that it's going to be or what the final but they had, they had Griffball people play it or whatever. Yeah, that's what yeah. makes me wonder. Did they have any input on what the final game was like? Or were they just like, like here you go, demo it? I don't know. I hope not, because if, if they actually got actual Griffball fans or pros or whatever in, it's terrible, because they must have just kept nodding their heads. Oh, this is brilliant. Yeah, oh yeah. Fundamentally changed the game. Oh, I great. You know what I mean? That's that's not the... It's, it doesn't sound good. If they get people in from the community and the people of the community just nod their heads whatever crap changes they were making for the sake of it. Especially whenever you get someone like Knockyard who ranted like a mofo. You see his big long post? I was like, wow, that guy loves his grip ball. <laughs> I do think it's cool how they um, improved. I don't know if you can call it improved, but they they added the feature where you can really hit the ball across the court now instead of just doing the gravity hammer hop. Like you could before, so that that actually becomes an, uh, a new tactic, a new strategy that you'll have to use. I just, I, I just find absolutely hilarious that for oddball, they added throwing when no one wanted it, and for the th- for flat for CTF, they took the ability to, to drop it out. You know what I mean? It's like they, they took these two modes, made these two changes to it for absolutely no reason at all, just for the sake of doing it. Well, I I I think they had reasons for doing. You know, I, I think they were reasonably well thought out ones. I think the Griffball one in particular is actually pretty cool. And I'm assuming that they'll have a round-based mode for Griffball. Then I don't mind judging it right now because that's how they showed it to the world. If they don't want people judging it, they shouldn't have showed it like that. Can you imagine the shitstorm if they had shown off Halo 4 MLG and they changed all the fundamental rules about it. everyone was using needlers or something and it was... You know what I mean? They, they, they fundamentally, can you imagine the shitstorm that will create it? Major League Vagueness. 
<laughs> at the end of the day, it'll be MLG that defines what goes into matchmaking, or Griffball Hub will get together and figure out the settings that go into matchmaking. So as long as they have the ability to make it round-based, I think it's going to be great. If they don't have that ability, yeah, it, they, they screwed up big time. But I'll, I'll be shocked if they don't. No matter what happens, the community can fix it. You know what I mean? If, if it's really terrible and the community can't fix it, as it were, that's something they worry about. That's what I'm saying with the CTF changes. I hope they realize, I hope they realize that it will be stupid not to play classic CTF in Halo 4 in any way. You know? I just hope they aren't that dumb. Because they aren't dumb, you know what I mean? Those are really, really good people. They're really smart, intelligent people, and it would be one hell of an oversight, or if it was deliberate, uh, I don't even think about it, to be honest. I just hope that we can work around things like that in custom games at the very least. Well, just while we're on the topic of CTF, and I, I think this will only set Danny off further, but what I was going to say is I, I do hope the custom options are there, but at the same time, I I feel like 343 has carved out a pretty clear vision for what Halo is in you know in their stewardship in in Halo 4 and I really hope that they kind of stick to their guns and say this is CTF and that's the CTF that's primarily in matchmaking or maybe even only in matchmaking. I I think it takes a lot to stand by a decision if it's if it's not entirely popular. I think Three for three have demonstrated before they're rather flaky when it comes to making decisions, at least in terms of reach. Here's a TU, it's a title update, but we're not going to actually make everyone sort of be affected by it. So here's half of you, and we promised the other guys who can play original reach, so vanilla reach, then TU reach, and I have seven Slayer playlists. You know, reach was just a big mess that they didn't really need. To oh, get no, 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 no. Excuse their mishandling of matchmaking like that. That's it's too easy to let them off. Say, oh, it was a mess. Not even they could fix it. No, that's no. They, they tried. They tried their honest best, but they overpromised. They tried to make everyone happy, and it made things worse. Their best intentions made things worse. Like Gallium was saying, if they stick to their vision, they stick to what this is how it is. This is our new Halo. Deal with it. Then that should cut down on the crap that happened with Reach in terms of matchmaking. Yeah. Pulling it back to Griffball for a minute, um, there are two interesting fiction things that I wanted to talk about. Um, with Griffball, oh my god, what? Well, not not specifically Griffball, but this is when they were really showcased. Um, the first being the map that it took place on. I took, uh, I tried to take a close look at it. It was a little hard because the windows were kind of obscured, but I believe that that area was a cryo bay. Um, because on the upper level, there was um, all these uh, all these windows that opened up onto an area with computers where people would like stand and look down onto this open area. And then on the lower windows where everyone was playing, I I could swear I saw what were what looked like cryo tubes always just kind of lined up in there. What mean cryo tubes? Cryo tubes like Master Chief comes out of cryo like just a whole bunch of cryo tubes. It's like a human. Thing. Yeah, well, it was a human map for sure, but okay. I just think that's interesting. And then the ball itself. Um, first of all, we got that glowing spirit skull, which I still refuse to believe is simply a spirit skull thing. Like, there's got to be some AI explanation for that. But 
until we get that explanation, what's most interesting to me is that the technology surrounding it is not actually forerunner tech, it's human tech. And I find that really interesting. When I first saw it, I almost thought that it was supposed to be a CQB helmet that was kind of like stripped down or, or altered in some way. I don't know if it's supposed to look like a helmet, but it's definitely human tech. Which, if that pulls from the fiction at all, could, you know, point to some really interesting developments. Yeah, that's an interesting observation. I hadn't given much thought to why the ball was this kind of clear, glowing thing with a skull in it, but... Uh... Yeah, it'd be interesting to see what the explanations are for that. For that. If there is an explanation. If there are any explanations. I guess we never really got an explanation why we carried a skull around. In the well, wasn't it supposed to be kind of like Key's skull? I mean, it had the, um, yeah, it was. the card slot in the back. Oh, that's funny. The Neuralink. Yeah, and originally it was charred and stuff because you were supposed to have burned out Key's skull with a flamethrower. I think we could easily say in Halo 1, it was supposed to be Key's skull. From then on, it, you, you could just say it was like some high ranking. It doesn't really matter that much. The point is it's an important, has important data or something like that. So there was a little bit of fiction behind it. And I think given how much 343 is integrating fiction, it, it's got a hint towards something. Just, just don't even toy with the idea of fiction and Griff Ball. I'll just make no, you no, want no, to no. do something very unpleasant. Just, just the oddball itself, just the bomb itself. No, wait, was the was the oddball the same as the bomb? Yes. So is that a placeholder or? What bomb? There's no bomb. What bomb are you talking about? Oh, you're right. They they switched it for the oddball. Yeah, it, a, gr a griff ball is not uh, assault anymore. Yeah, it didn't blow up. You're right. Yeah, there's no explosion at all. It's it's actually oddball they use, an oddball variant. And I, don't, I don't think it's Griff Ball without weird. the explosion. I'm sorry, I just don't think you could do that. Griff Ball without the whole point of Griff Ball, but whatever. <laughs> it raises the question as to whether Assault is coming back. I, th I think you need Assault. Assault's such can't a do, classic. Do explosions in Halo 4, that's, that's the problem. The engine can't handle explosions anymore. Uh, I think that about wraps it up for this episode. Um, any last words? Any last questions, by the way? Um... Dave, you only ask these guys about their PAX experience. The only other real question I have at this point is really nerdy and probably no one had a chance to look at it. I assume that reloading animations are not any better than previous games. In terms of what? As in you're just randomly picking, like, not ammo out of thin air and not actually grabbing it out of something. No, it's just like the other games. Yeah. I know that's a tiny thing to really be bothered by, but... <laughs> yeah, don't harm I, I, thought, I thought that all the animations were excellent, the reload animations in particular. I felt like a lot of them felt looked like they were tugged right out of reach, to be honest. I think some of them might still be placeholder, but like some of them moved almost exactly the same as, uh, as Reach did. Yeah, there's a... There's a similarity there, but I I wonder like how different it can really be if they're doing motion captured Spartans. I don't know. I think even if they did it from the ground up, they'll end up with something really similar. Yeah, but the, that's for third. That's for the um, third person because because the animation that plays in third person is completely different from what you see in first person. So. Okay, guys. I think this will be a good pointy just to wrap it up. This concludes this episode of the Ford on the Dawn 
podcast uh, at number seven. Uh, this is Danny, this is Dave, Ben, and Isaac. Uh, if you have any comments, um, you can reply to the page you'll find this podcast on, or you can subscribe to our iTunes. Uh, you can leave word in our uh, community forums, or you can follow us now on Twitter at Forward Dawn. Uh, so thanks very much, and thank you for listening. Smoothest ever. We're a bunch of nerds. You guys should do Black Ops podcast. Shut up.